Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Hello and welcome to FW Present, the anthology show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and the title of this particular episode is Discovering Star Trek. And boldly going on this journey with me is our special guest, my pal and award-winning author, Aaron Entrada Kelly. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Rob. It's nice to be podcasting with you yet again. We have talked about Grease 2 and then Joan Crawford. So, of course, uh, next up on the docket is Star Trek. Yes, and I'm very excited. <laughs> me too. We've been talking about this for a while. So uh, let me, let's me let explain, everybody. The, this episode is called Discovering Star Trek because I learned something shocking about Erin last year, that she had never seen a single episode of the original Star Trek series. So, Erin, can you explain how this came about or, more accurately, how it didn't come about? Okay, yes. So I have a lot of pop culture gaps uh i don't know how this how this happened except that you know i like the things i like and sometimes it (laughs) takes a while for me to um watch something new or you know especially with tv and movies because you know i'm a i'm a big reader i'm a book person so I, i read a lot and tv and movies are just kind of like secondary so there are huge gaps and so how it came about that i finally um learned about Star Trek. Well, of course I didn't learn about it. I already knew about it, but <laughs> how I started watching Star Trek is really quickly, will it really quick background? My partner, Dan, your good friend and my partner, Dan was watching reruns of Buck Rogers one day. And I sat down and started watching it with him. And I said, what is this? <laughs> and he said, this is Buck Rogers. And that was one of my gaps. You know, I'm a child of the eighties, but I had never seen Buck Rogers and I'd never even heard of Buck Rogers. Okay. So we start watching it and the show is totally ridiculous. So there was a lot of things to uh, poke fun at. There's a lot of things to have a conversation about. So then it became like our thing to watch an episode of Buck Rogers before bed and make fun of it. And it was just kind of fun and, you know, Buck Rogers. So when Buck Rogers ended and we had no more episodes, I said, what are we going to do now? I want to keep watching like cheesy science fiction. So I said, you know what? I've never seen a single episode of Star Trek. Maybe we can watch that. And I have to say, we started watching Star Trek. And my only context for Star Trek uh, was that I know who Spock is. Like, I know Spock and Kirk. And I know that Spock is logical. And I know they're boldly going where no man's gone before. That was almost all I knew about it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And we start watching it. And instead of this, this campy Buck Rogers thing, I thought I was going to be able to like poke fun at. I was totally enthralled because the show is so good as people who are probably listening are like nodding their heads. Like, (laughs) yes, don't compare Star Trek to Buck Rogers. But, and then I became immersed and now I have all this Star Trek paraphernalia behind me in my office I am totally devoted to the show. I started keeping a list of my my favorite to least favorite episodes. It's just so well done. And I just finished reading The Making of Star Trek, which came out right after the show ended, um, mm-hmm. which gave background on how the show was made and developed. And so 
Um, and now I'm watching Next Gen. So that's how my, my introduction to Star Trek happened. So you had seen no other iterations of Star Trek before you sat down to watch this? Did you, you see any of the movies or any of the other shows? I watched in passing the the recent, I say recent, uh, the Chris Pine, I think is okay. the guy's name. Yep, yep. Like the first movie that came out, my sister was watching it one day at her house. when, And, and I watched it in passing, and that's the only reference I had. But I really wow. wasn't even like committed to, I wasn't really watching. I was just kind of like on. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So as you were watching the show, uh, and by the way, I say, I love, you are a compulsive list maker. So we, you, you, you uh, sent me a bunch of lists of different things collected and which I found fascinating is because that's, that's how, you know, someone's really getting involved is when they start you know making lists about things. It's what you weren't casually passively watching this. You were, documenting it as you were going through um is there is there anything that you watched in the show that you were like oh that's what that is it was something you had seen in the culture and you just didn't know that it was even a reference to anything and then you saw it in star trek and you're like oh that's what that is i understand what that is now because star trek was so preeminent in the culture that there's things that have just been sort of baked in that i think a lot of people make reference to that don't even you don't even know it's Star Trek unless you know the the context. Did anything like that? Really? Oh, that's oh, that's from this episode. Okay, great. I'm thinking there must have been nothing's jumping out at me except that more so things like so we all know the the beam me up, Scotty, which of course we all know wasn't actually said in those words, right, but right. but the phrase uh, beam me up. I knew that was from Star Trek, but I had no context of where they were beaming to or from. I had no, I had no idea. Like, I, I never really thought about what they were doing on the ship and where they were going and what the point was of the show. I had no context, so there were moments like that. And, and there are shows, you know, I love um, old, older shows, original shows. I love original Twilight Zone. I'm a huge fan of original Twilight Zone. Um, so I've seen all those episodes, but um, no, I mean. I can't think of any off the bat, but I'm sure that they're there. Okay. Cause I mean, it's you know? like, you know I mean, again, once you like, you knew what Spock was, you knew yeah. who that was, but you didn't know that like what his whole thing was that he was like logical or what Kirk was, Like you knew these characters in pop culture, but you would not have been able to tell anyone what made them interesting or notable. You just knew the no. name basically. Okay. All right. All I knew, honestly, all I knew was that Spock was a character on the show and that Spock was logical. That's okay. literally all the, wow. the, the, the breadth of my knowledge before I started watching Star Trek. I had no context for any of the episodes. So every time I watched an episode, I had no context for what fan favorites were, which ones were considered terrible episodes. I had no reference. And so after each episode, I would look it up. I would share my thoughts with Dan. Mm-hmm. I would say, this is what I think about it. And then I would go... Google it and read what fans had to say. And that was very interesting because I'm, I'm a total newbie with no references. And here's a group of very devoted fans who have a million references very devoted. and opinions. Oh, yes. Very and then I got so. to compare my thoughts against their thoughts, which was so super interesting to me. It's really a, a really great way to, to introduce yourself to the show. Just complete blank slate. That, that's amazing. I, I, I I can't think of too many things in pop culture that I'd be able to do that with. That's really fascinating. You could just go into it of like, I have no idea what's going to happen in any given episode. And because of Star Trek's, it wasn't serialized. Every adventure is you're starting over. 
Uh, and so you literally have no idea where it's going at any given point. So when you, when you sat down to watch the episodes, you, you did all that research afterwards or before you did a little before, or like when you sat down, it was like, I have no idea what patterns of force is going to be. I have no idea what space seed is going to be until you sat down to watch it. Yes. I think wow. that's, that's yes. And so I wouldn't look anything up until afterwards because I didn't want anything to inform my opinions wanted to make up my own opinions. So I would only read context afterwards, which made it very interesting because some of the things that I felt, a lot of other fans felt, and um, I don't know, it's just fair. So at this point, I have rewatched the show during the pandemic several times. Like I put it on and some episodes, which we'll get to, right? Some of my favorite episodes I've watched numerous, numerous times. Okay. So now I pretty much know all the episodes by their titles, you know, and I'm like totally devoted to this, to this universe. And now I'm watching next gen and I'm still devoted to the original crew. So, I mean, come on, it's, it's like impossible to recreate that trifecta of McCoy and Kirk and Spock. I mean, that's like a magic triangle that, you know, that's what really makes the show so great. Cause another thing about the show is, you know, often when I watch something, there there's characters that I don't like or who irritate me. Um, but I love everyone on Star Trek. I'm not even kidding. Like, I love all the characters, and and I just love their dynamic. It's just such a great show. I mean, I'm, I'm I've I've such fallen down the abyss now. I could like talk about it forever. <laughs> you got the uh, the light up Enterprise tree topper. I remember you got that over Christmas. Yes, <laughs> I have inter. I have. Uh, uh, my license plate is the Enterprise. I have the Starfleet decal on the back of my car. When I tell you I am like, I have drunk the Star Trek Kool-Aid, I am like totally uh, into it. It's just such a great show. It just really is. It's a marvel. Um, After COVID's over, you got the Star Trek conventions in your future. Oh, believe me, I've thought of that. And of course, I'm going to, I want to go as a Vulcan. Uh, Spock is my favorite character. And not not a surprise, but I really do love all the characters. I just happen to to love Spock, as do many people, of course. Yes, yes, he was the, the, the he was really the straw that served the drink on that particular show. So, yeah. one other thing I want to ask you about before we get into this, uh, your the list of your favorite, your least favorite to your favorite episodes, the special effects. Uh, did Dan give you any context to the special effects on Star Trek? He did not. He he gave me no context. Okay. And I didn't okay. want any. So okay. I, I was prepared knowing the era that it was made and, and, and loving a lot of, um, sci-fi movies from that era. Like the time machine is a favorite sci-fi movie of mine. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, my expectations were within that, that context. Because the, the, the effects have been redone. They got redone by computer graphics in the early two thousands. And so the episodes, as you see them on Netflix, I assume you watched them on Netflix. Is that yes. how you were watching them? They've been redone. The, the original graphics, the original special effects are, are no longer there. And I will say, as, a, as a, someone that watched Star Trek in the 70s, in its original form, I can't, I don't like the new special effects. Uh, to me, they stick out. I'm like, ah, that, that, that doesn't look right. But obviously, you didn't have that context, so they didn't, that didn't, you didn't really notice a difference between the sixties effects and say the mod. It didn't stick out to you that they look different in, in different. It scenes. did in, in the way, in the sense that when I was watching it now, I did not know that, that they yep. had been remastered. But when I was watching the show, it did occur to me, I was thinking like some of the effects, I was like, 
I don't think this is how it originally appeared. Right. On, on, yep. I suspected that it had been remastered and it sounds like I was correct. So yep. now I feel yep. very smart. There you but, go. <laughs> but I suspected they had been. Yeah. I, it's like I said, as, as an old school nerd, I'm just like, ah, come on, just show me the original ship. It's fine. I don't get yes. you know, it, it's okay. And I wish they, I wish they were available somewhere, but as far as I know, like they're gone. Like it's just every iteration of Star Trek you could ever buy on Blu-ray or Netflix, wherever it's going to be, you're going to see the new effects. So, okay. But I said, I, I thought that was, again, you didn't have that contact. You didn't know that going in. So it's interesting. Okay. So what we're going to do, I thought it was, instead of just having a conversation about uh, the show, I thought it would be fun because I said Aaron is big on lists. Uh, I thought it would be fun to go through Aaron's list of her her least favorite episode to her favorite episode, all of the all, all seventy nine or seventy eight, depending on how you count uh, <laughs> you count uh, the menagerie or court martial, um, whether it's seventy eight or seventy nine. But her her least favorite to her most favorite, and I thought it would be interesting as we go through this list, we can see maybe are there patterns uh, to, to to figure out here. Like, are there season? Is there a season that kind of is more favorite than others versus that, you know, uh, other episodes written by particular writers that seem to strike you. And we have this list. So we're just going to trip hammer through this list. Some episodes are going to engender uh, more commentary than others. Obviously some can be summed up very quickly as we're going to go through it, but that's how we're going to do this episode. We're going to start at uh, episode 78, Aaron's least favorite. I'm going to list the writer and the season, and then we will go through basically I am the navigator in this particular episode, and Erin is the captain. We are; She's directing of where we're going here. So we're going to start with Erin's least favorite episode of Star Trek, which is what, Erin? Way to Eden. Way to Eden. Okay, space hippies. So, <laughs> Irritating space hippies. Need we say C- more? Yeah. <laughs> From season three, written by D.C. Fontana and Arthur Heineman. Now, uh, as you were, um, were you ranking them as you were going through them for the first time or did you watch them all and then you made you kind of sat back and thought now i'm going to rank them were you what was the how you were how were you doing good question i ranked them as i watched them okay. and then since i have since rewatched the show um i made adjustments uh, you know okay all right i ranked them as i watched them gotcha okay so the space hippies episode just totally did not work for you it did not work for me. It was irritating space hippies is all I can say. All right. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, so the number, uh, we're going to re- reverse order here. So let's say like 78, I guess, is a Turnabout Intruder, the final episode of Star Trek, written by Gene Roddenberry and Arthur Singer, of course, from season three. So uh, your take on that one, Erin? It's so disappointing. So my, my take, my, my single sentence take is sexist, misogynistic trash. The show definitely went out on a whimper. Uh, there is no doubt about that. And, you know, it, Star Trek was interesting is that it was so progressive in so many ways and then so regressive in so many others. Yes, uh, It's kind of amazing that that could exist in the same show, but yet it did. Because obviously, you know, you have Uhura and you have other female characters that are of positions of authority and command in this world. And yet you have other characters that are clearly there just for sex appeal. Yes. And my attitude is, you know, one of the things I loved about the show was how progressive it was, how open-minded it was, how um, welcoming, you know, of of different cultures, different, like all different things. So I recognize that element of it as being something that fans love and celebrate and that I loved about it, but also recognizing that there were some really regressive and 
offensive episodes that managed to make their way through. Of course, it was a product of its time. So, um, so yes, this was not on my list of favorites right. in any way, shape, or form. Gotcha. Okay. Next is Savage Curtain. Uh, season three, written by Gene Rodbury and Arthur Heineman. So Arthur Heineman has <laughs> has his name on <laughs> the, the bottom of these episodes. So what what was your problem with Savage Curtain? You know, it was just like Abraham Lincoln appeared. As soon as he appeared, I was like, no, this is not going to be good. And I was right. So I say <laughs> nonsense with lazy world buildings is my sum- summation of that episode. As someone who has built a lot of worlds, uh, that's obviously something that uh, I think is is a uh, what, what it's like a, a particular uh, interest to you. I'd say you know you've written a lot of books, and each book you're creating its own world. So when you feel like any given episode is just the, it, all right, let me ask you this: Is does any of these episodes were you like were any of them where you're like this premise just doesn't work, and there's no way to make it work, or in your mind, can a bad premise? be somewhat redeemed by good execution that's a great that's a great question in some cases in more cases than not the episodes i didn't like i liked the premise i didn't i wasn't crazy about the execution in this case i don't know how it would have been okay you have abraham lincoln and genghis khan and all these people fighting and i i don't even know if on paper that would be interesting honestly (laughs) so the premise and the execution both kind of failed in my view on this episode Space Lincoln, over the years, Space Lincoln, I think, has converted from being ridiculous to being cool. I think a lot of people are like, they just love Space Lincoln now. Uh, but at the time, I remember when I watched it, I, even I was like, really? Space Lincoln? Like, what, what are we doing here? Um, so, okay, next is Assignment Earth from Season 2. We're finally out of Season 3 in terms of your <laughs> least favorite episodes. Written by Gene Ronberry and Art Wallace. So, okay, Aaron, Assignment Earth. Okay, so my summation was when I watched Assignment Earth, it didn't make any sense to me in the Trek universe. Kirk and Spock didn't behave in ways that, that that their characters typically behave. So I was very confused, like what's happening right now. But then after the episode ended and I did my research, I discovered it was a backdoor pilot and then it made a lot more sense. There but you go. In the Star Trek universe as an episode, no. I did that. Yeah, no. I, yes. I actually will go to bat for Assignment Earth mostly because I wished it had gone to series. I liked the premise of assignment. I agree. As an episode of Star Trek, it's fairly weak, but backdoor premise, backdoor pilots tend to be that way because the main characters get shuffled off to the side and you're like, well, who are these people? Like, what's, what's going on? Why am I meeting the neighbors? Like, what's going on here? And I wished Assignment Earth had become a series because I actually thought it was pretty cool. As a kid, it was one of my favorites. And, um, you know, Gene Roddenberry was trying to hedge his bets because Star Trek was always struggling in the ratings. So he was trying to get other shows off the launch pad. And it just didn't go anywhere. So, yeah, while I, I agree with you, it's not a great episode. I Most of your list, I tend to agree with. This one, I would rank higher just because I like assi- I like the characters of Assignment Earth. And I wish, it had, I wish it had gone on to do something else. It would have been cool to have a second Gene Roddenberry series on the air at the same time. But, again, alas, not That's so fair. much. All right, so next, Spock's Brain, uh, which most people consider the worst episode of surgery. You actually place it a little higher than some others written by the great Gene L. Kuhn from season three. So, okay, Aaron, Spock's brain. What's your, what's your problem with Spock's brain? Come on. It's, it's, it's embarrassing for all involved. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy felt the same way. Yes. And 
it kind of unfortunately set the tone for season three, generally speaking. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was an embarrassment. I yeah. mean, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Even, even Leonard Nimoy was like, uh, and the, the, um, it's the, the, uh, making the, the Shatner book, uh, the, the, his, his first book, uh, by, behind Star Trek. I forgot. I'm blanking on the name of it at the moment. Uh, oh no, Star Trek Memories. He talks about shooting Star Trek three and he said everyone involved. He said just shooting this monster as he referred it. He says just made everybody feel depressed about the beginning of season three. So yeah, I can see why. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough stuff. So next is, uh, Elon of Troyes, uh, written by John Meredith Lucas. It's from season three. So, okay, Aaron. Um, so. Needless to say, any episodes that are overtly sexist are going to be low on my list. So this was a a spoiled woman who basically needs a man to tame her. So I'll take a hard pass on that. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think of the performance by the the main actress? I thought it's a tough role to pull off. Uh, And and I do think some of these episodes, uh, again, like we're talking about with the premises, like the premise is a little rough, but like, Sometimes it can be saved by the performances. And uh, I thought France Noyan playing Elon was pretty good. But again, it's, it's, it's a tough role to pull off. Yes, it's always, it's always good to see a woman of color in, in roles, you know, especially back then. It just it didn't happen to be a, a good, particularly good role. So right. Right. no enough. fault of hers, of course. Right, exactly. Uh, next, Mark of Gideon, uh, written by George F. Slavin and Stanley Adams from season three. So <laughs> a lot of season three here. I think we're already uh, yeah. figuring out what was your least favorite season of Star Trek. There is a pattern as far as the seasons and other things. But so my note was interesting concept, uninspired ex- execution. I actually right. forget about this episode a lot. So moving on. <laughs> I, I will admit I've seen every Star Trek dozens of times. But when I was going through your list, I was like, which one is that? I had exactly. to go back and- like pull it. I, I've been rewatching Star Trek myself. Uh, by the way, just uh, as a, as a side note, we find it very soothing to watch to put us to bed, which is you wouldn't think it would be because it's a noisy show and it's got explosions and all. But uh, we we've been putting on other things to go to bed, and it keeps us up. But Star Trek, we put Star Trek on, and like we're both asleep in like fifteen minutes. It's just like a very yeah. soothing show to. I guess because it's it's, it's like you, comfort it's food. Comfort. Yeah, it's comfort. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. All right. So next is uh, Who Mourns for Adonais, uh, written by Gilbert Ralston from season two. Okay, so just boring and bizarre is in front of my <laughs> notes. I mean, you know. I can never remember that it's not Adonis who mourns for Adonis or Adonais. I, every time I type it, I type it as Adonis. But that's I like, always see it as Adonis Adana- as well. Yeah, it's always Adonais. All right, so next, Private Little War, written by Don Ingalls and Gene Ronberry, also from season two. So... You know, one thing that I like about the show is its parallels and its its messaging um, as far as war and, and what we think of war, et cetera. But as far as those episodes go, this one was largely forgettable. So it's just kind okay. of a shrug. Meh. Yeah. Uh, Wolf in the Fold, written by the great Robert Block from season okay. two. No shade to Robert Block. I did read Psycho during the pandemic. It's a great book. But this this episode... Also had some overt sexist uh, overtones. Spock actually says women are more easily and deeply terrified than the male of the species. <laughs> and I thought my head was going to explode. It was not a very Spockish thing to say. And no. it was laughable and ridiculous. So, you know, it, it's in my bottom 10. I, I do wonder what Nimoy must have thought when he, because as we know, he fought tooth and nail 
yeah. on his character throughout the series. And that line must have really stuck at his craw. It really made no sense for yeah, his character. Cool. So, all right, next, uh, The Alternative Factor, written by Don Ingalls from season one. So this is your least favorite season one episode. Season one. I thought it was just confusing and unnecessarily bizarre. (laughs) Alternate universes can be fun, but in this case, it was not fun. It's just, no. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Whom Gods Destroy, written by Lee Irwin and Jerry Saul, uh, back back to season three. So had a, a promising beginning, and there are several episodes like this where it's a promising beginning, promising premise, but then it goes downhill from there. So this is the one where the, inma- the inmates are taking over the, quote, insane asylum. So right. it was promising, but eh. <laughs> Okay. The Paradise Syndrome, written by Margaret Arman from season three, one of the very few uh, female-written Star Trek. Decent Fontana, of course, but she was on staff, but Margaret Armin, I think, is probably one of the few freelance writers that uh, wrote any Star Trek episodes. Yes, so I, I get excited anytime there's a woman writer, but unfortunately, the Native American stereotypes are an immediate no thank you. Mm-hmm. It's got to be uh, we you know we all know how television works about that uh, you know the the writer that is credited on the episode doesn't necessarily uh, be is not necessarily the one that wrote the you know preponderance of the episode or wrote particular scenes. And so there might have been stuff in there that the writer submitted and then sees on television. It's like, that's not what I wrote. So, uh, and the children shall lead It's next written by Edward J. Lasko also from season three. So interesting on paper, cringeworthy on screen. <laughs> well, what made it cringeworthy? If you can remember just, just these children. I mean, the, the chill, I, I, I can't really say put my finger on it. Exactly. The whole thing was cringy. Um, the children, the the execution. It was just, it's a bad episode. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a bad episode. All right. Friday's Child, written by DC Fontana from season two. Okay. So this this is one of the episodes that's mostly forgettable, but I believe this is the one with Julie Newmore, so that's notable. But mm. also my favorite part is when McCoy says, I'm a doctor, not an escalator. <laughs> right. When so- he's helping her on the, up the uh, <laughs> cliff face. Yeah. So that's my favorite part of this episode. Everything else um, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, so I, I'm curious. So you, I know for a fact that, that you will bail on something uh, if you if you don't like it anymore. Like you've you've mentioned about that you've read you've read books and like you've got to like the last hundred pages and if you don't like it anymore, you you're you'll bail on it. It was there any point during this that you were willing to bail on Star Trek or did the goodwill of seasons one and two? Because as we can see, season three is really your least favorite. That It's it's heavily weighted, your least favorites in season three. Was there ever a point while you were watching season three that you were like, I don't know if I want to continue with this? Never. Okay. so Which, which so is very loved- out of character. That, yeah, that's how much I love the show and the characters. That's right. I thought that's what I thought was interesting that you were you loved it so much in the beginning that you were willing to trudge through some really rough episodes, especially near the end where they really kind of pile up. Yes, it was more sad than anything that, okay, this is how the show's going out. You know what I mean? But Mm. no, I never thought I would bail. Are you, are you, you you said you read, you read that book about making Star Trek. Are you familiar with how much of the context there was for season three, like the troubles they had just getting it produced? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, it's unfortunate that the guy that produced the show, Fred Freiberger, took so much grief uh, for producing not a great season. But as we know, like he was, he was left with virtually no money. 
yes. uh, to produce Star Trek. And it was given like a Friday night at 10 o'clock time slot. So the network was clearly just dumping the show and didn't care about it anymore. And I mean, how do you make Star Trek for no money? I mean, how do you just, how do you do it? Yeah. I mean, and it shows, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's clear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So next is uh, Squire of Gothos written by Paul Schneider from season one. Okay, so I know that Trelane is a favorite among some fans, but I found him unbearable. Okay. <laughs> Have you gotten to – well, you you said you've watched some of Next Gen. Uh, obviously, if you've seen even one episode of Next Gen, the first episode, you've seen Q. So what is your yes. feelings about Q versus Trelane since they are sort of similar? They are almost um, – I find them both insufferable. Oh, really? You don't like Q at all? No. I like the concept of Q, and, and I just recently watched the episode where Riker – gets the power of the queue that then mm. that was pretty interesting and good but generally um no I, i'm not really into these caricature type villains you know like the twisty mustache kind of okay. like and that's the vibe i get from from q and from trolling actually okay <laughs> okay fair enough cat's paw by robert block once again from season two now i really like this episode i have to say i i would have put this if i was making this list i would have put this a little higher but so uh, for you it didn't work yeah, some interesting stuff, but just not overly compelling. It's not like I had a huge issue with it. It's just kind of like, eh. Okay, fair enough. I could see an argument made for making it higher, though. But yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. The uh, next up is The Apple by Max Ehrlich and Gene Kuhn, also from season two. A bit cringy with some wacky costuming. Yeah. <laughs> some, <laughs> of the, some of the co- – I will admit, I don't let this stuff – I don't let the context of Star Trek bother me. Uh, at all because I just know they again it was made with very little money or whatever that said sometimes the costumes are so ridiculous that I yes I find it distracting I'm just like oh my god really they couldn't think of a less goofy way to put that guard with like the giant cone head hat or something yes exactly I agree completely yeah so all right next uh the Omega Glory written by Gene Roddenberry from season two so in my opinion Trek and storytelling in general works best when it's subtle and textured, and there's no, nothing subtle about this episode. It's kind of mindlessly nationalistic. You know, they'd say the Pledge of Allegiance at the end. I'm just kind of like, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Mud's Women, written by Gene Roddenberry and Stephen Kandel from season one. Okay. Again, I feel like the episode was trying to, to be pro-woman, but but managed to be blatantly sexist instead. So... The message was, you know, being with a husband who who prefers you when you're beautiful is better than having no husband at all. So, no. <laughs> hard, to, it, hard to make this sex hookers concept really work <laughs> in a lot of ways. But, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then the next is Plato's Stepchildren, written by uh, Meyer Dolinsky from season three. So this this also had some very interesting moments, but mostly cringeworthy and uncomfortable but it is memorable because of the kiss right the infamous kiss right the infamous yes so that's something but you know meh. <laughs> okay the uh, gamesters of triskelion oh i'm sorry written by margaret Armin. there she is there she is again. yes i, forgot. I thought she, wrote, she had another one yeah, yeah there's yeah. another one games okay that's from season two so this episode is forgettable the only thing i ever remember about it is that kirk's thrall looks just like lady gaga <laughs> So those of you listening out there, if you do a, a Google search for Gamesters of Triskelion um, and look at the images, you will see a woman who looks exactly like Lady Gaga. So mm-hmm. that's my <laughs> only takeaway. All right. Fair enough. 
<laughs> that which survives written by DC Fontana and John Meredith Lucas from season three. So my notes are solidly. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> the lights of Zatar written by Jeremy Tarcher and Sherry Lewis uh, from season three. And whenever time I see Sherry Lewis, I'm like Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop wrote an episode of Star Trek, but no, it's a different, <laughs> different Sherry Lewis uh, from season three. Just kind of man average. Nothing, nothing terrible about it, but just kind of like, okay. This is one of those episodes that I can never remember what it's about. I've seen yeah. it. I've seen it a bunch of times, but it's one of these ones where I'm just like, which lights of Zadar? Which one is that? I it's very remember. Scotty heavy. You know, it Scott, is. Scotty falls in love and all this jazz. So, <laughs> what do you think about Scotty uh, as a? You said you liked all the characters. What are your, what are your, you've already talked about the triumvirate, but what do you think of uh, Scotty and Uhura and Chekhov and Sulu generally? I, I like all of them. I will admit it took me a little bit to, to like uh, warm up to Scotty because I felt like he was constantly like talking exclamation points, you know, and he always <laughs> looks super surprised. Um, but I, I love all of them. Honestly, I love all the care. I, I love all the crew. So there's really no one that I, that I don't like. I don't care for Chekhov's wig, but that's right, not really yeah. his fault. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that giant, that giant Davy Jones wig that they said. Yes, I learned about giant. that afterwards. Of course, I had no context, but I'm, I was thinking, why is this man wearing this wig? And then yeah. I found out. <laughs> this is awful looking. Uh, next, Miri, written by Adrian Spies from season one. So there were some interesting moments in this episode, but Kirk's interactions with Miri were bizarre and made me very uncomfortable. All right. Uh, <laughs> next is uh, The World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, written by Rick uh, Volerertz from season so, three. Yes. So this was solidly okay. And it was interesting to see a different side of McCoy because he falls in love and then, you know, he has to leave his wife. And um, so that was interesting for that reason. I always think about this episode when uh, there's a, a friend of mine uh, many years ago talked about how frustrated he was. He was a big uh, Star Trek fan, and he was frustrated that uh, this was when Next Gen was on, and Next Gen had episodes called like the Battle, you know, like the most mm-hmm. boring prosaic. And here's the that. series is the world is hollow, and I have like they're such poetic and they're yes. so florid and they're fun to read. And then you get to Star Trek Next Gen, and it's like the battle. You're like, all right. I 100% agree. Yes, I totally agree. And I noticed that about Next Gen as we were watching. And I was like, these episode titles are just very uninspired. (laughs) So, yes, I did notice that as well. Yeah. Uh, Next, I Mud by Stephen Kandel again from season two. So the Mud mud episodes are not – we're kind of solidly in the middle near the – more the bottom third for you. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, you know, I know Mud is beloved by fans, like I came to learn, but he's just a bit, a bit too twisty, mustachey for me. <laughs> um, but I did like the android angle. I do like, I tend, I tend to like episodes that have androids or computers as, as like the villains or the, you know, main driver. So, you know, there you go. All right. Requiem for Methuselah by Jerome Bixby from season three. Very forgettable. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Charlie X by Gene Roddenberry and DC Fontana from season one. Interesting moments, but not a favorite. Okay. Uh, Shore Leave. That's a favorite among a lot of fans. Uh, written by the great Theodore Sur- Sturgeon from season one. Yes. In fact, uh, Dan really likes this episode and thinks I unfairly scored it too low. But to me, it was just kind of like a meh. I thought it was unnotable, honestly. But okay, yeah, it's. I think a lot of people like it because it's just so crazy. 
I mean, just like the, you know, we've got the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland and Kirk fights a tiger and there's a, it's like, yeah, I think maybe it's too plain, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just a nuts episode. So, all right. Fair, okay. Fair enough. The Empath, uh, written by Joyce Muscat from season three. Yeah. So I found that one interesting, but I wasn't blown away by it. Okay. Uh, let that be your last battlefield. By Oliver Crawford and Gene Alcoon from season three. That is way lower on on this list than most people would. I I would argue this episode this episode tends to appear on people's like top five. That's so didn't didn't really work that much for you. I thought it was interesting and I thought it was memorable, but I thought it was very heavy handed. Yes. So that those were my only notes. Really, I could see I could see why people love it. I just don't happen to be one of those people. I think a lot of people were really charmed by the Frank Gorshin performance. I mean, it's just, that people also sense. love Frank Gorshin as well. Um, uh, the, the, uh, in the seventies, the Amigo uh, line of toys, they made a, they had a line of action figures, Star Trek, uh, doll. They're really dolls, call them action figures, but they were dolls. Anything that comes in a cloth costume is a doll. And they had the basic characters, of course. And then they had a smattering of the aliens. There was like a Gorn who is here. I'll show you. My Gorn is right here. Is over. Oh, look at him. Yes. Yeah. Um, I had the Gorn and there were, there were some of the ends, but one of them is they had Charon from the, let that be your last battlefield. Oh, so that's of course, cool. When I was a kid, those episodes were sort of more, uh, they were, they were more, not more interesting, but they, they resonated more because I had a toy, you know, they had a, that they makes like, sense. And, and of course, only knowing what I knew about Star Trek from watching the reruns and having the toys, I felt like, Oh, well, this alien must be pretty big in the Star Trek universe. Cause there's a doll. Versus other aliens, they didn't, you know, they didn't make, you know, a Charlie X doll. You know what yes. I mean? Now, I didn't realize, basically, all these aliens get one appearance, and that's it. But in, but as a kid, I was like, oh, this guy, Sharon, must be, this must be a big deal. He's, he's got his own, got his own action figure. But, you know, that's, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't have any other context for it at that time. So, okay, next is uh, By Any Other Name by DC Fontana and Jerome Bixby from season two. So this is this is one that was interesting and engaging while I was watching it, but it's also very forgettable, and that's one of the ones I forget what it's about. <laughs> okay, again, the name. That's another one I have to look up. I'm like, which one is that? By any other name? Yeah. Uh, this one hurts, Aaron. I have to say, <laughs> "Day of the Dove" by Jerome Bixby from season three. This is like pretty much my favorite episode of Star Trek. So I thought it was interesting, but a bit heavy-handed. I just wasn't into it. I'm sorry, Rob, you know, but <sighs> I know this is why we have these conversations. It hurts. Cause like, right? I just, I love, I found the, the, the malevolent alien that didn't have a face or a voice. Well, it has a voice at the end, but doesn't have a, that it's just bopping around the enterprise and taking people over and turning them into like, hate. I found that really creepy. I just found it to be very creepy. And so I, okay. I really love that episode. So, I mean, you know, Hey, it's fine. It's, but yeah, it's always one of my, it's always one of my favorite. I love that it turns Chekhov into like the super hateful, you know. The, you I know, know a little Chekhov. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And he's my brother. And Sula's like, he doesn't have a brother. You know, I love, I love that whole, I love all that stuff. So, okay. All right. Day of the Dove. The Cloudminders by David Gerald, Oliver Crawford, and Margaret Armin. There she is again. There she is again. I'm, I'm sorry, Miss Armin. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, uh, slight you. You've actually show up here a lot. Season three. Uh, this is a premise, obviously, that has had a lot of resonance in the years since. Because, like, I mean, the movie Elysium from a couple of years ago was basically the same sort of idea of you know the rich people living up in the living up in the sky while the planet is destroyed. 
sounds like uh i don't know that sounds like the future in a lot of ways yeah no kidding so i i did enjoy this episode i liked it it just didn't blow my mind or anything you know okay. so there's a lot of solidly good episodes in the middle of the list but there's so many great episodes that you know you have to be really great to make it to the top right i understand so okay <laughs> i understand <laughs> Uh, the Deadly Years by David P. Harmon from season two. Again, enjoyed the episode. It, it didn't blow my mind, but I did like it. Okay. Uh, Return to Tomorrow by John T. Dugan from season two. A- again, mostly entertaining and enjoyable. I especially liked to see Spock portray a villain, even though he's not Spock. He's kind of possessed, but, mm. um, you know, yeah. Okay. Wink of an Eye by Arthur Heineman and Jean L. Kuhn from season three. Kind of the same thing. I was engaged, but my mind wasn't blown or anything. Okay. But you know what? Let me, we started with Way to Eden. Let me say, is there any episode of Star Trek that you genuinely hated and you would never watch again? Is, is, way, to, say, is way to Eden that bad, I guess? It's, it's really- way to Eden is that bad and um, Turnabout Intruder. Yeah. So, okay. yes. Okay. Those two I would never watch again. I don't need to okay. watch again. I mean, I gotcha. might watch them again, but I don't need to. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. There are <laughs> I, you know, I go through. You know, I watch Mash over and over again, and there are there's really no episode. There's like one episode of Mash that I I, I leave it on because it just you know when I binge watch, but I don't like it. You know, I'm just like all right, just get through this. So okay, yes. Um, all right. So next is Patterns of Force. I love Patterns of Force by John Meredith Lucas uh, from season two. I was I was really engaged. It's not a bad episode. There are some elements that are questionable and messy and don't make any sense, but it's not a bad. I wouldn't say it's a bad episode now, because now we're starting to get to the to the episodes that I I pretty much like all the rest of the episodes. You know, we're at the middle of the list. Yeah, but, we're at exactly the middle of the list. Yes, exactly. When it's when you watch the sh- when I watched them uh, in, in the seventies is, is reruns. You know, I mean, I was a child and I wasn't like documenting them or anything like that. But when you watch them together, you can sort of see how um, on the production end, you can sort of tell that like Gene Roddenberry was sort of like, okay, what backlot sets do we have? Yes, that's on the Paramount lot that we can use, and what costumes? Because it's like, oh, let's have them go to like an old West Town. Let's have them go to the Nazi planet. Let's have them go to the gangster planet. Like you could tell it was like they went through, you know, the the, the they went through the costumes. And like, what do we have? What are we? Yes. What can we Creative use? Creative problem yeah. solving, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and yes. it, that's very smart. I like that. That's back when you know these these uh, studios had these immense lots that you could do all this on. In fact, I did get to visit the Paramount lot once um, a few years ago, and as I wandered around, I was like, "Where did they shoot Star Trek?" You know, I wanted to like, I was there for uh, professional reasons. I didn't want to like geek out, but I really wanted to ask somebody, like, "Where did they shoot Star Trek?" Like, I wanted to like pop my head in one of the stages and find out. It would have been so fascinating. So. Uh, so next, Spectre of the Gun by Gene L. Coon from season three. So as I was watching this, I thought it was ridiculous, but there was something really bizarre about the episode that I liked, and the ending saved it. So um, so ultimately, I, I find this an enjoyable episode. Okay. That's one of the more famous ones from season three in that it's, uh, it was hampered by the budget, that they literally did not have the money to send – the cast out to the old West town on location. So they rewrote it and made it like surrealistic that it's a yes. fake Western town. And it actually works very well. It does. It's, it's a very creative way of getting out of a production problem. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. So next is uh, metamorphosis again by Gene L. Kuhn from season two. 
Yes. So uh, when I first watched it, I didn't, I wasn't crazy about it, but since, since I've rewatched the show several times, I find that I really enjoy that one. Now, what, what is it? Why did it change in your estimation? You know, I don't really know. I've, I've wondered that, like what's, what's made it different. I think maybe the first time I watched it, I wasn't completely clear what was going on. Okay. Um, and, and now it's pretty clear. Yeah. Did you go back and rewatch episodes uh, re- before moving on to other ones that you hadn't seen for the first time? Or did you watch them all one to 79 and then go back and cherry pick your favorites? That's what I did. I, I, I watched the whole show. I watched the whole uh, series and then I went back and rewatched it. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, next is a piece of the action by David P. Herman and Gene Alcoon from season two. Again, the, the, uh, <laughs> the enterprise and the mobster planets. Uh, that's a fun premise. Well, yeah. It, I mean, it really is the second funniest episode of the series. I think we all know what the f- most funniest one is, but mm-hmm. it, it's really funny. Um, and that's what I love about it. It's got that great uh, final scene where it's where, where Kirk is talking about them and he goes, maybe someday they'll want a piece of our action. And then it freezes. And it's like, it almost feels like it's like police squad, you know, where they're like, just ha ha ha. And then they just freeze. Yes. It's, it's such a silly ending, but I love it because it's, you know, again, seeing Kirk and Spock in gangster clothes. It's like, that's just fun. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Dagger of the Mind by Shimon Winselberg from season one. Solidly good episode. I like it. Kirk makes some stupid decisions, but but it's still it's still a good episode. I like it. All right, the immunity syndrome, Robert by Robert Sabaroff from season two. Great Spock episode. You know, we're going to see a lot of Spock coming up because I love yep. Spock so much. So that's a great Spock episode. Okay, uh, Obsession by Art Wallace from season two, and that's a great Kirk episode. Um, so you mentioned my lists. And just for the people listening out there, I have other lists, Star Trek related, <laughs> list of the best Kirk episodes, the best Spock videos, and the best villains. Um, and that's a really good uh, Kirk episode. It's funny when I'm looking at this list and how we have pretty much, we'll, we'll, hit, we'll hit, I think, maybe one or two more. But like, basically, we're out of season three now. And we're moving into season two. Season one and season two overlap a lot more. But we're pretty much out of season three into season two. Yes. As we're going in terms of your, for the as, most as, part, as yeah. we're getting better and better. Yeah. For the most part. Uh, next is where no man has gone before from Samuel A. Peoples. Yeah. Um, season one about, you know, the, the, one of the real scene setters of Star Trek. This yes. Interesting, engaging, good episodes. Solid. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Bread and circuses by Gene Ronberry and Gene L. Coon from season two. So it's funny because I often forget about this episode, but then when I rewatch it, I really like it, but then I always forget about it. I don't know why. There's that line about when they, when the, the one guy says the other, like, oh, 20 Quatloos on the Challenger. That has permeated pop culture, uh, for some reason. Uh, I know they did it on The Simpsons once where the Homer ended up in like a, a, a gladiator type thing and they even played the music. Da, 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 da. They barred the music from Star Trek and stuff. So it's, it's, that episode has resonated in people's minds beyond some other ones. Uh, Errand of Mercy by Gene L. Coon from season one. Gene L. Coon is so good. So, um, oh, yeah. I feel like this is mostly notable because we learn more about the Klingons. Um, so, yeah. I, uh, I read in, I think it's in making, uh, sorry, excuse me. I keep saying making Star Trek. I think it's in Star Trek memories that William Shatner talks about. He goes on a little side journey to talk about Gene Okun and, uh, Gene Okun, of course, you know, came up with the Klingons and the prime directive and the, the Organian peace tree. Like he came up with a lot of concepts that, Trek would use and, and would be part of the lore. And there's a quote 
uh, I'm, in, I'm interested, I'm bringing this up because I'm, you're, you're a writer and I'm interested to what you think about this, this idea. Apparently Gene Alcoon's wife said that Gene would get up in the morning at like five in the morning, jump out of bed. And he had a million ideas, went to the typewriter, typed nonstop for about six hours, just wrote, 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 wrote. And then at noon crashed and never wrote for the rest of the day, did it all again the next day. Can you relate to that, that kind of writing wow. strategy at all? I understand it, but that's not how I operate. I let things permeate a lot and then I'll write for a few hours and maybe come back to it. So I'm not that, that disciplined or, or manic, whichever one you want to choose, but <laughs> I understand it though. Yeah. I thought it was fascinating to hear that. I'm like, really? That's how he wrote? Like you just, you know, the mornings is when I write. And then after that, the rest of the day, I'm going to go off and, and do something else. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, so next is, uh, what are little girl, what are little girls made of? Once again, Robert Block from, uh, season one. I enjoy this episode. It's got the androids, which I love. I like the androids. Big fan I do of like the androids. The androids. Yeah. I do. Uh, all our yesterdays <laughs> by Jean Lizette Arrowist. I don't know how you say that by from uh, season three. So here's a season three. That's, that's, you know, high 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 list. great Spock episode. That's mostly why it's, it's up there because Spock is in love. Mm-hmm. He's in an alternate universe, which I like the alternate universes. So pretty solid. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this side of paradise next Jerry soul and DC Fontana from season one. Another great Spock episode, another mm-hmm. Spock in love episode, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I like that episode. <laughs> Uh, Operation Annihilate by Stephen W. Carabastos from season one. So I loved the, the villainous aliens in this one. So I liked the aliens and, you know, Spock gets blinded at the end to try to cure him of this, um, virus for lack of a better word. Um, but then of course, because of his Vulcan eyelids, the blinding does not last and he is self healed by the end. So yeah, it's a solid episode. I like that episode. Uh, Journey to Babel from by uh, DC Fontana from season two. More Spock love. <laughs> so we get to meet Spock's parents, which is really cool. And the whole thing. Yeah. Love it. Can I tell you, what do you think of uh, Mark Leonard as, as Sarek? Oh, love. So what's interesting is he, he was in Buck Rogers when we were watching Buck that's, Rogers. That's right. Yes. And he's like this, this guy who takes his head off. Um, and has like, he and Aaron Gray had like some fling before the episode that happened off camera. But, um, and then I saw him in Star Trek and I was like, oh, that's the guy. Um, and then I realized, and then he was also in, you know, later on, he's in Balance of Terror as a different character. But right. anyway, love him. Yes, definitely. You have not gotten to any of the movies yet, right? You and Dan haven't, haven't started on the Trek movies? No. Okay. Because I will say there is a moment in um star trek well there's I, you know what i won't give there's a moment in one of the star trek movies with sarek that is like probably my fate like my favorite thing of star trek period my favorite scene i don't nice. get I, I don't get um i don't get misty-eyed when i watch movies even movies that are very sad or very emotional i just don't i just don't for whatever reason and that there's a scene in one star trek movie again i don't want to give any other context other than that that really uh, hits me on an emotional level every time i see it so uh, i look forward to uh hearing about it when you get to it because i just think it's a it's an amazing Ooh. thing so okay nice. um yeah uh so next the man trap by uh george clayton johnson from season one this is the very first star trek episode that ever aired 
Uh, it, it is. Wasn't, it wasn't intended as the first episode, but it is the first one that uh, any viewer ever got to see. Yes. And actually, I, you know, obviously I liked it because I kept watching the show. So uh, <laughs> I, th- I think it's a good, solid, uh, very science fiction-y, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, show with, with those great special effects from the time period. So, yes, that's, that's a good one. Did it throw you that it was not Dr. McCoy in that episode? We were just like, wait, who's the, wait, like, what? Because some of the characters are a little different in the very beginning. Yeah, no, I'm okay with it. You were just like, all right. I'm just, I'm, I'm just on, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with it. Right. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. The Naked Time by John D.F. Black from season one. Yes, this is a classic and it's a great Sulu episode. So I like that one. Right. Right. <laughs> the Changeling by John Meredith Lucas from season two. Okay. So again, I like the androids, right? So I love this episode and honestly, sometimes I'll just be walking around the house and I'll just say, I am nomad. For no reason. Just because I like the episode and I like Nomad. Um, <laughs> the crew of the Enterprise is threatened by a giant soft-serve machine. Yes, that's Yes, <laughs> exactly. I love that episode. I love Nomad. In fact, he's on my list of my favorite uh, villains, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fun... It's, it, I always wonder about, as an actor, how do you, uh, you know, how do you act against a prop? You know, because yeah. the whole episode is just them talking to this prop. I mean, yeah, there's a voice and they, you're dealing with that, but still, it's like you've got to emote and you've got to be sort of interacting with this thing, which is just probably, you know, styrofoam spray painted, you know? Well, <laughs> let, let's be honest. Shatner, um, if there's one thing he can do, it's emote. Well, that is true. <laughs> that was not a problem on He emotes his ass off on this show. That is very right? true. He's yeah. doing some hardcore acting here. Have you ever heard that quote from Leonard Nimoy about the, the how he perceived the, the difference between Shatner's style and Jeffrey Hunter's style? No, no. He had this great quote. It's in the, the, the Spock documentary. I mean, I've seen it said in other places. But he said that when he acted with Jeffrey Hunter playing Captain Pike, Jeffrey Hunter was playing uh, Pike as this kind of brooding internal guy. And, and Spock, he said, uh, Leonard Nimoy was like, well, as Spock, I couldn't find a way to contrast myself against mm-hmm. Jeffrey Hunter because Spock is internal and cool. And he says, but when Shatner came in, Shatner was of course the complete opposite of brooding and internal. He's big and he's emotional and he's, you know, he's the id. And he's like, then he realized, Oh, this, I know how to play against because I've got, you've got Bill being big and emotional and I can be cool and distant. And he said that real, that to him, that's was what made the combination work was that great, frisson of these two different styles versus what Jeffrey Hunter was doing, which was very similar to what Nimoy had to do as Spock. Yes. And that's what makes the trifecta work so well. And actually I'm still in the first season of next gen, but that's something I'm struggling with in next gen, mm-hmm. by the way, not to get off on a tangent, but uh, Riker and Picard are so um, balanced that I feel like I'm missing the, I'm missing the, the back. I'm missing that. That's what I'm missing right now in next gen, but still I'm in the first season. So I don't know what's coming, but anyway, there's a, <laughs> there's a, I think again, it's from, from uh, the Star Trek book where Shatner says, he says, uh, people have said, uh, if uh, facing down a villain, uh, the contrast between Kirk and Picard would be Kirk would say, <laughs> he says, if they're facing down a villain, brandishing a weapon, Kirk would say, I'm going to fire on the count of three, one, two fire. And he says, Picard would go at the count of three, I'm going to fire. One, 
Two, I'm really serious about this. Three, come on now, I mean it now. All right, four, all right, can we talk about this a little more? <laughs> yes. You know, we're going to have to do a whole separate show on Kirk versus Picard, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right. So, uh, next, Devil in the Dark by Gene L. Coon from season one. A oh, great so episode. Good. Oh, it's great so episode. good. I love it. And in fact, sometimes, in addition to walking around saying I am nomad for no reason, <laughs> sometimes I'll just, I'll just cry out, <laughs> and dan always starts laughing because of course you know uh oh it's such a great episode yeah uh, i love that great one. Yeah. great and, and you know you can relate to this giant prop that they yes it's the mother yes you know, it's so, so good thing. yeah oh it's a really tremendous episode uh a taste of armageddon by robert hamner and gene Coon from season one i will say this is one of my favorite premises of any Star Trek probably ever. I, the idea that you have a by proxy war. Uh, yes. that way you're not destroying the planet. I just thought, I don't know whether this was Gene Coon's idea or Robert Hamner's. Uh, but man, whenever you came up with that premise to me, it's like, take the rest of the day off. Cause man, you did it. What yes, I agree. I agree. As a great premise. The episode is well done. I, I really love that episode. It, it, it really does raise a lot, make you ask a lot of questions which I think good science fiction does, and so accomplished, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, really, I, I just love, really, marvelous, marvelous premise. Uh, Return of the Archons by Gene Ronberry and Boris Sobelman from season one. Yes, so I really enjoy this episode. It's one that I rewatch a lot. Um, it's it's kind of bizarre and weird, and um, which I love. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I like, I like Return of the Archons. All right. Yeah, cool. yeah. All right. The uh, Corbomite Maneuver by Jerry Saul from season one. I, so I, yeah. Let's all have a glass of Tronia juice, everybody. <laughs> I love this. The, the alien from this, Baylock, who, of course, is the stand in for little Clint Howard, as we as we find out in the end of the episode. Yes. The, um, Baylock was always, of course, one of the, the, the stills from uh, the, the credit, the end credits. You know, they would they would repeat. You know, they would show uh, Star Trek was unusual in that it would feature stills from other episodes, not from the episode you just saw. And when I again, when I was a kid watching the show with my dad in the 70s, uh, I was fascinated that yes. there were all these adventures I hadn't seen. And of course, when you're watching things in syndication, there's no way to track it. There's no way to there's no way to document it. There weren't books as far as I knew about Star Trek. So that was it, that that image of Baylock is to me like. That's the wonder of Star Trek when I think about it like that because I was just like I hadn't seen that episode and I was whenever I saw Baylock not knowing what he was called Baylock but it like that was always the 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 note to me like oh there's still more to see because you haven't seen yeah. that episode he hasn't showed up yet I I, I really like the Corbin Knight it's know. a very uh, uh, iconic science fictiony to use that word again yeah. image too yeah. it's a great episode I mean yeah. it's it's really one of those edge of your seat uh, episodes of Star Trek so. Yeah, uh, that's a great one. Absolutely. Uh, next to Tholian Web by Judy Burns and Chet Richards from season three. Season three episode, placing pretty high season here. Season three comes in there. I just really thought it was fascinating how they create this this web and kind of mm. trap them. Um, Dan wasn't as impressed with this episode. I think he actually fell asleep during it. But <laughs> uh, I dug it. I thought it was good. I, yeah. the, 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 uh, it's really got the, – the effects are marvelous. I mean, Spock yeah. in the suit, it looks – Really solid. I mean, really solid. It's amazing. It really sort of holds up uh, really well. And again, it's a great science fiction concept 
you know, yes. like web in space. Like it's a really neat idea. Uh, next is Arena by Gene L. Kuhn from season one. Again, I'm sure you can tell as I showed you my my Gorn doll. I'm a big fan of Arena. Oh, it's so good. And and again, I love Gorn. I love the the special effects of the time. It's one of those, you know, Gorn is kind of like one of those those monsters slash aliens, whatever you want to call them, who's kind of captures what's so great about science fiction of that time period as far as like science fiction, as far as um, just the whole concept of it. I really, I, that was a great episode. It really was. I, I, I've told the story in other podcasts. I don't think I've ever told you this. If I have, you can stop me because I don't want to, I don't want to bore you here, but I remembered um, when uh, I was, in the, again, this was in the seventies and I went shopping with my mom and my grandmother and we went, you know, I tagged along and then, and, and uh, my mom bought me, uh, the, my mom bought me this. She bought me the, the Gorn doll and not because she knew anything about Star Trek, but I think she knew I liked it. And so I was like, okay. And I bought this Gorn doll. I was very excited. And then I went home. We went back to my grandmother's house in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, and I turned the TV on and Star Trek was on and it was that episode. It was Arena. Wow. And it was like, it was so powerful to see something on television that I was holding in my hand, even though the Gorn doll doesn't look really anything like the Gorn <laughs> in the, in the uh, episode, but it was, it really, it made, it made a connection with me for Star Trek. That was very profound because it was like, wow, here's this, I can watch the episode that I can, that I'm holding in my hand right now. It was just, it was really a big moment. I can still picture my grandmother's living room. And I hear her little TV tucked in the corner of the room and my mom and her and doing something. And I'm just watching this episode. It was just, it was a big moment. That's amazing. How serendipitous. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Uh, So next, uh, The Enterprise Incident by DC Fontana from season three. Oh, that's a great episode. And it's another one of those like edge of your seat kind of things where they're trying to, to take the cloaking device. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, Spock has to distract the Romulan female Romulan commander and they kind of have a moment there. Um, so it's a great Spock episode and a great Kirk episode for that matter. It's just a great episode Mm -hmm. top to bottom. Uh, tomorrow is yesterday. Once again, by DC Fontana from season one, love the time travel. So in addition to androids and Spock, uh, I also love time travel. So, um, that was a really cool episode. I like that one a lot. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the you like the time machine, so yeah, big on the time travel yes. stories. Yeah, yes. In fact, I'm watching Doctor Who right now because my daughter introduced me. Well, my daughter stayed with me this week, and she introduced me to Doctor Who. So now I'm I'm immersed in that. But, oh, there's yeah. a lot to watch at Doctor Who, man. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the Ultimate Computer by Lawrence and Wolf and DC Fontana from season two. So good. I mean, this was another one. A lot of these that are in the top are the ones where you're just kind of like heart pounding, like what's going to mm-hmm. happen, you know, um, that that's a great episode. Yeah. The uh, Conscience of the King by Barry Trivers from season one. Loved it. So that's the one where they're, they're trying to figure out if this guy who's, who's kind of part of the Shakespearean troupe is um, actually a man who committed mass genocide. Mm-hmm. That Kirk was one of the last surviving witnesses too. So I loved the mystery of it. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great episode. And is there, in truth, no beauty by Jean Lizette uh, Arroest from season three, the highest rated season three episode, according to you? 
Uh, yes, according to me, and I'm correct. Uh, <laughs> this is one that I love to rewatch. I absolutely love this episode, even though there's, again, some sexist moments in there. But um, I love this episode. And I don't know that it, that it's necessarily ranked that highly by fans, or, or, or maybe it's just kind of considered a solidly average episode by fans in general, but I love it. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorites. All right. Uh, the Menagerie by Gene Ronberry from season one. Yes. So I put one and two together in here. Mm-hmm. And I almost wish, since I watched the show on Netflix, I had seen The Cage. So I had already seen the episode that this was mined from. Right. Um, I almost wish I hadn't seen that before I saw this. But um, I loved The Menagerie because it's, I feel like it's, again, another good Spock. A lot of good Spock moments there. It's a, Again, it's a great... Uh production resource of thinking, well, geez, we have a whole episode of Star Trek that we can use, uh, you know, that's just sitting in a vault somewhere. And of course, by doing this, Roddenberry is sort of starting the foundations of the history of Star Trek, of setting up the idea that, you know, there was a previous captain and Spock served with him and, and went and on and on and on from that point. Yes. And, you know, because I had seen the original, um, with Captain Pike, I knew what, what Spock was doing sooner than probably viewers would have guessed it. Well, definitely sooner than viewers would have guessed it who were seeing it out of the box first time. So I kind of wish I didn't have the reference, but I did. But fine, it's a great episode. They're both just, great. It just dawns on me that you don't have the cage anywhere on this list. It's well, because I kind, I kind of lump it in with the menagerie since it's an outlier. You know what okay. I mean? It's kind of like, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but because the cage didn't um, wasn't technically the first episode. Mm-hmm. I guess. Right, I'm, right. You, you know what I'm saying. It's a failed pilot, essentially. In, in yes, yes. What do yes. you think of the cage? I mean, what did you think of of the show as it uh, as it existed in that form? I thought it was good. I did. I thought it was good. Um, I, I prefer Kirk to to Pike, mm-hmm. um, and I think for the reasons you mentioned with Spock, I think it, the trifecta would not have worked as well with um, Pike as it does with Kirk. But he wasn't. He wasn't bad or off-putting. I mean, obviously, McCoy wasn't there yet, but, you know. I mean, again, it's the magic of the three of them that really makes the show in, in a lot of ways. So I don't know how it would have been if it would continue to, uh, with that crew, but I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, I, I think – yeah, I don't I – don't, I think the show probably would not have survived if it had been – it had been greenlit as a series based on the cage because of – I do think it was just too weird – it was a very uh, thinky, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it was not, it was not yeah. like heart pounding. It was just yeah. very thinky. So yeah, I think uh, Shatner really came in at the right time to sort of uh, present the thing as with like a classic leading man sort of thing. Uh, so next, uh, the classic, the trouble with tribbles yes. by David Gerald from season two. So now we're, I think we're in the top 10 now. So trouble yep. with tribbles. I mean, say no more. Uh, it's mm-hmm. absolutely the funniest episode of star Trek. It's very endearing on so many levels. Um, yeah, great episode. Of course, a classic, right? Yeah. There's an episode of um, Star Trek DS9 where they go back in time and insert themselves into this episode. And uh, I will say, I'm not a huge fan of DS9. I just, I know that there are some people on our very network that love it and are teeth gnashing at that suggestion. But uh, I love that episode because it is it is really fun. They get into the spirit of it, and they the digital effects for the time are actually pretty good. The way they insert the DS9 cast into the Trouble with Tribbles episode. 
Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, okay, it's fun. It's, it's, sure. re- it's really fun. Uh, next, The Enemy Within by the great Richard Matheson from season one. I love this. Of course, this is like one of the best Kirk episodes. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. And of course, it was a season one. So I was just watching the show. You know, that was my first season watching, obviously. I, I, I love this episode. I thought it was great. And Kirk was, was very, uh, as the kids say, he was very extra. Yeah, <laughs> it was definitely emoting his ass off, as I said. So I do love this episode. I, I really like the, the altern, alternate, um, the, the concept of an alternate, kind of like a doppelganger, not really a mm-hmm. doppelganger, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like another side of ourselves. Right, right, right. Uh, next, uh, The Galileo 7 by Oliver Crawford and Siobhan Winselberg from season one. Yes, this is a, an incredible Spock episode, which I love. And there's, it's a great Bones episode as well, because Spock and McCoy, um, you, you get to really see their, their differences as they're trapped on this um, planet. So, yeah, it's a great one. Mm-hmm. The okay. Sitting on the Edge of Forever by Harlan Ellison from season one, which many people consider the greatest Star Trek of all time. Oh, I mean, come on. It's so good. I mean, what can I say? It's an excellent episode. And again, you've got the time travel element, which I love. You've got crazy bones. You've got crazy drugged out bones. You've got crazy drugged out bones. You've got Spock in a beanie um, (laughs) trying to. My friend is, of course, Chinese. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Trying to cobble together, you know, technology with these radios from, you know, the 30s or whatever. I mean, yeah, it, it's great. It's great. <laughs> uh, Space Seed, again, the, the, the two most famous probably Star Treks of all time. Uh, maybe Tribbles is in there, but you've got them clumped together. Space Seed by Gene Alcoon and Carrie Wilbur from season one. Of course, the you know, one of the great villains in all of Certainly all of Star Trek, maybe all of science fiction is uh, Khan. Absolutely. Of course, he's number one on my favorite Star Trek films. I have a Khan action figure over here. <laughs> um, I love Khan. That's an incredible episode. I mean, it's just so good. And then when, it, when it's over, of course, I, you know, with all of these episodes, I go to my phone. I'm, I'm reading up about it, you know, and, and needless to say, it's a favorite of fans for good reason. I mean, that, that's just an incredible episode. Yeah. Um, and Khan is, oh man, he, he's a, he's a great villain. It's, it's amazing when you, when you, know, you look back on it now and it feels like everything is supposed to, everything falls into place like it was supposed to, but you realize back when they were making the movies, how it really was sort of blind luck in that, you know, they made the first movie and uh, the movie was successful, but it wasn't considered to be very good and it cost a fortune and Paramount was like, well, we can't do that again. And so they hand the franchise, the Star Trek franchise off to Harv Bennett, who was a TV producer, because they were like, this guy knows science fiction. He had done Six Million Dollar Man, and he knows how to do things on TV budgets. So he's going to keep the budget low. And Harv Bennett was not a Star Trek fan. He didn't know anything about Star Trek. And he said the first thing he did was watch the original 79 episodes like you did. You just watch the ball on a Paramount screening room one day, which sounds like, oh, that sounds fun, by the way. Like, yes, be in the Paramount screening room, be like, I'm working right now. I'm watching Star Trek over and over again. And he originally realized that the first movie is kind of like a think piece. It's not really a uh, – he felt that the, the Star Trek needed a good villain uh, to, to course correct. And he's watching these episodes, and he gets to this episode, and he's like, wow. And then you've got that final scene – Literally, Kirk says, I wonder what 
Khan will be doing 20 years from now. Yes. And then Harv Bennett was like, bang, there it is. He was just like, he said it was like a song cue. It's so and, good. It's amazing. What an amazing thing that to be able to, to have that line just laying out there, teeing up and say, well, let's find out 20 years later what Khan is doing. It's Not like, to mention on a superficial level, uh, Khan is very dreamy. Okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. What, he, does, he does not treat uh, uh, the, his wife, his soon-to-be wife. Oh, well, of course he not. No, he's terrible. Not very well. yeah. He's terrible. I'm basing this on superficialities alone. Right. Of course. Fair his enough. appearance in right. his dreamy. Okay. Good. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, <laughs> a Muck Time by Theodore Sturgeon from season two. Well, this is number one on my best Spock episodes. I mean, come on. I mean, this is like peak Spock right here. So great episode. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Court Martial by Don M. Mankiewicz and Stephen W. Karabatsos from season one. Yes. More great Spock moments there. I loved that because I didn't totally know what was going on. Dan wasn't as crazy about it because he, he found like the heartbeat thing at the end when they were trying to find the heartbeats to be a little forced. I didn't think so. But um, yeah, I thought that was a great one. Features a great performance by the character actor Elijah Cook as the, the lawyer. The lawyer, uh, yes. He, he was always in like these film noir movies. He always plays some kind of like sweaty, furtive kind of crook. And here he is in a sci-fi show. He sticks out like a sore thumb, and that's what I love about him. Like, I just, yeah, I'm just he like a fan is. of him, so I love him in, in that episode. Uh, Balance of Terror, your favorite season one episode written by Paul Schneider, and again featuring Mark Lennard. Yes. Oh, that was such a good one because you get to see like Kirk's kind of count- counterpart, mm-hmm. um, quote unquote, bad guy. And you, you really get to see Kirk battling it out, you know, with, with someone who is of equal um, footing from him as far as being a captain. And uh, so it's a great balance of terror. I mean, it's a perfect, perfect title. It's a, it's a balance of these two very capable um, captains and pretty much battling their wits. So, I mean, you know, who doesn't love that? It was based basically, uh, well, not that based, but the idea was it was based on a movie, a submarine movie with Clark Gable and Burt Lancaster called Run Silent, Run Deep. And the idea was the writer just basically said, well, let's just do that in space. It's just two competing sub-captains in space. And you're like, what a great idea, you know, just to take this concept and say, we'll just put it in space and we've got an episode out of it. You're like, yeah, it makes, it makes total it works. sense. Yeah, it totally works. It always works. Um, so your, uh, your second favorite Star Trek of all time, Mirror, Mirror, the classic by Jerome Bixby from season two. Everybody with their evil goatees. I mean, come on. This episode, I've, I've seen it so many times at this point. Like, I, I know some of the dialogue at this, at this point in my life. Um, <laughs> it's so good. I mean, everything about it works. Ever, even from the opening, when they get caught in the eye on Storm. And it shows the Enterprise, and to give you to to clue the viewer into the fact that they're going into an alternate universe, the Enterprise kind of changes direction, you know, like you see it kind of flicker, and then all of a sudden it's going in a different direction, and you know, as soon as they step off the um, the platform in the trans in the transporter room, there they see you know Spock with his goatee, and they're like, wait, what's going on right now? And you as a viewer are like, what's going on right now? And I really love the alternate universe thing, so. I mean, that episode is just incredibly good. What do you think of uh, Spock with the goatee? Is that, that you like that? Prefer that look or, or I have clean to tell you, Spock? Spock 
either Spock is fine with me because now I thought I didn't know if there was something something strange about this, but I have a one hundred percent have a crush on Spock. I'm in right. love with Spock. I love Spock. Marry me, Spock. So I'm like, <laughs> come to find out that, you know, I'm not alone. There were many, no, many no. women who loved Spock. And like, I had to think about it because he's not, it's not like he's an unattractive man, but he's not, you know, some strapping, you right. know, guy. So, but I just love him. So I have a total crush on Spock. And then, you know, and then to come to discover there's many, many, many um, people out there who are in the same boat as me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll take Spock with a goatee. I'll take Spock without a goatee. <laughs> I'll take Spock's green blood and hairy chest that we got to see in Patterns of Forest, I believe it was. And Spock takes his shirt off. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll take it all. Okay. I mean, Star Trek gave birth to slash fiction because people had such deep seated sexual feelings about Kirk and Spock. So, I mean, it's all good stuff. Kirk, you know, I'm, I wouldn't kick Kirk out of bed either, but <laughs> he's pretty dreamy himself. But right, you know, yes. yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of our one of our network, uh, Cindy Franklin, had a huge crush on George Takei. That was her. That's her favorite. That's uh, okay. She, I can, I could see that actually. I mean, yeah. most of them are crush worthy. I mean, Uhura, forget about it. Mm-hmm. Talk about gorgeous. But mm-hmm. anyway, I mean, yeah. across the board, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, well. We're here. Your favorite episode of all time from Star Trek from season two is what, Aaron? Doomsday Machine. Okay. By written by Norman Spinrad. So congratulations, Norman Spinrad. You wrote <laughs> Aaron Kelly's favorite episode of Star Trek. What makes you love the Doomsday Machine so much? I will say it's the performance by William Wyndham. Oh uh, my God. Are you him kidding? Sweaty. Oh, five o'clock shadow, Starfleet captain. Oh my God! I yes. love him. But what do you? What? What? What made this one the number? Okay, I could talk about this episode for another hour and twenty minutes, <laughs> but don't worry, I won't. Um, it's so good. I mean, everything about it is good. You've got Kirk, right, who has all these incredible moments and in showing him himself at his one hundred percent most captainy um, moments as he tries to figure out what he's going to do to destroy this doomsday machine. Then you've got Spock who takes charge. Right. And then, uh, it has such a great mix of story acting, great dialogue, great special effects. I mean, forget about it on, on every level that episode hits the high notes on every single level. So I feel like it's kind of like star Trek at its best because it's everything. It's the script. It's the acting, it's the actors, it's the premise, it's the special effects, it's all of that. What do you now, think? Oh, I, I think it's a marvelous episode. I just think it's a great, it really is a solid, solid, solid show. Now, was it, when you watched it, um, did it like ring the bell immediately and it sort of stayed there? Or did it, as you reviewed them and you were like, mm, okay, then... Or did this, you know, it's kind of like, oh, no, this, they, boy, this was my favorite one so far. And then you watch the rest and you're like, yeah, they never topped that. It, that's what it was. Like okay. when the episode was over, I thought, man, that episode was incredible. And it was kind of like every episode then had to beat that episode, mm-hmm. you know. And I've since rewatched the show, of course, and it's still the best episode. Now, sometimes I waver between Doomsday Machine and Mirror Mirror. Okay. Only because I have rewatched Mirror Mirror more times than Doomsday Machine. So Dan says that that means Mirror Mirror is my favorite episode. 
but I don't know if that's what that means. Yeah, I, I, think I don't it, know if I agree. I, with I that. think Doomsday Machine is a superior. They're both very, very good, but um, Doomsday Machine really hits every every area on point. So you know, there's almost nothing I could say about that episode that that didn't work, in my opinion. All right. Well, well we did it. We, we did through, it. Well, you're right through your episodes, all 78 slash 79 episodes of Star Trek. Uh, I mean, wow, this is, it was really cool to hear you in real time as we were talking over the last year or two go through these episodes because it was, it was a real treat. I would love it if there was some piece of, I mean, there's lots of television and movies that I haven't seen, but there's, I, there is no great white whale, no pun intended for Star Trek four, uh, that, that I haven't seen yet. And so, um, I really, I really envied you that you were able to like experience these for the first time, sort of unsullied, uh, which is amazing because so many things get spoiled or whatever, but it was just really, really cool. You were able to do that. And so I was, I was so excited to do the show with you because your fandom, you, I mean, you said you jumped into the pool eyeball deep in terms of yes. how much you got into this. And it was really, really charming to behold and be talking to you every so often. Where are you? Where are you? Oh, we're on season three. Okay. We're You're going through there. It was just marvelous. And so let me, I have a question now as, as a, uh, can you yourself as a writer imagine writing some Star Trek? We like writing a Star Trek young adult novel. Would you want to take a, would you, as you were watching this, were you ever, did you ever get that creative itch of like, boy, I'd love to put some words in Spock's mouth at some point? Not necessarily Spock's mouth, like not necessarily fan fiction. I do in general, really, uh, it's one of the crazy things that, that, that I think about is I love science fiction. So it's kind of, it's kind of wild that I never watched Star Trek in the first place, Mm -hmm. but part of me really wants to try to write science fiction. I especially want to do something with time travel. Mm -hmm. Um, but the problem is, you know, I really have trouble with plot. You know, a lot of my books, and you've read, you've read some of my books. Yes, I have. Um, they tend to be very character-driven and character-focused. And so plot is where I struggle. You know, like, I don't know if I can write a heart-poundy story. And kind of have mm-hmm. to have that with science fiction, you know. Like, like we said with The Cage, it was very thinky, right? And it was, right. it was kind of slogged the pace a little bit. So I would love to, I have, I've had that thought with Twilight Zone, because like I said, I'm a huge fan of the Twilight Zone. Um, and I've always thought, oh, I would love to do like, um, uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street or something mm. like a retelling. I don't know how I would do it though, if that makes sense. So right now I'll just, I'll just ingest and digest the science fiction that's out there. And maybe one day I'll be, I'll be able to write my own science fictiony something. Okay. All right. We'll see. So how do you, as we're, as we're wrapping up here, like, do you have any sort of, do you feel like Star Trek is, do you feel like your life is sort of enriched by having seen it now? Do you feel like, cause there's some, some television shows uh, I enjoy or movies. I watch them. I thoroughly enjoy them, but like, I just kind of leave them on the side of the road. You know what I mean? Like after I'm mm-hmm. done with them, I'm like, I'm never going to think about that again. It was entertaining. It kept me entertained for the length of the time I watched it but it's not something that's going to travel with me through my life. But I get the sense, obviously with your Star Trek tree ornaments and all your Star Trek bric-a-brac behind you, Star Trek is, it's like a part of your life now. It is. And I feel very fortunate to have discovered it and watched it in a way, in a way that's not necessarily um, true of 
of other TV shows that I love, you know, even with, even with the Twilight Zone, because it's an anthology show, you don't get the same devotion. Right. Right. You know, so, um, there's just so much that I love about it. And I feel like definitely that, that my, my cultural life has been enriched by being introduced to the show. And also it's, it's, it's just, it's also fun being part of an active, enthusiastic fandom. I mean, I know some people are a little bit, um, (laughs) militant, maybe too militant about their fandom, but even on Twitter, whenever I tweet out, um, you know, something about Star Trek, there's, there's always enthusiastic fans who reply or retweet or, uh, live long and prosper emoji. Um, there's something really cool about that, about knowing that you share a fandom with so many different people from all over the world, from all walks of life, all cultural, ethnic backgrounds and, um, gender expressions. And there's something really cool about that because, you know, I think that for the most part, one of the things that people appreciate about Star Trek is, is that it's a, a vision for a, a better future, you know, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, and there's something really cool about sharing that vision with, with other people in the fandom. So it's more, it's more than just a TV show, but it's also what, what the TV show tried to say, what it stood for, which there's something very cool about that. Do you feel as though it, I mean, uh, in terms of the episodes, do you feel that it, what am I trying to say? Like we, we know that Star Trek ended abruptly. It was canceled before it really, you know, it, it, it was, it was, it was a show that was canceled. Uh, it didn't get to live on. And a lot of people have gone, gone back and said, well, obviously they kind of did the show a favor because the show was getting worse and worse and worse. And maybe if it had gone on to season four, it would have been even worse. And the fans, it might've driven the fans away. Um, do you feel like you would have liked to have seen, and it's, it's a little silly question. Cause of course, if you love a show and someone's like, would you like to see more episodes? Yes, of course I would. At the same time, do you feel like maybe they, you know, based on what you saw of season three, it kind of ended the way it needed to. And it, it's sort of perfect. And it exists as the 79 only. And, it got to live on, obviously, in other contexts, but would you, do you feel like it didn't, it achieved what it maybe set out to do, or do you feel like you would have liked to have seen more of it and the other things it might have tried to uh, accomplish? I would err on the side of that, that the cancellation did do the show a favor. I wish it would have ended with better episodes. Like, I wish it could have gone out on a high note, but mm. I think one of the reasons it's endured for this long is because it was, you know, it was just those three seasons. And then it, you know, of course it went into syndication and it's kind of, I kind of feel like, you know, it reminds me of this concept of, you know, uh, when, when a famous person dies very young and now they're immortalized for, for all eternity, you know, Marilyn Monroe or James Dean or something. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like that was Star Trek in a way because it was encapsulated in those three seasons and that's what it was. And, um, the show was getting absolutely was getting worse. I mean, season three compared to the other two is like a different universe, no pun intended. But <laughs> um, so, yeah, I feel like if it would have gone on um, at least the way it was going, you know, I'm, I'm almost glad there wasn't a season four if that's the direction we were going in, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't know that it, it would not have been able to withhold all the challenges of, of budget and time slot and all that. So it would have just gotten worse. And then it would have turned into something less celebrated, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. So, well, uh, Aaron, I mean, thank you so much for doing this. We talked about uh, doing the show a while back and I was eager to see how it, it all shook out and how, uh, how it all worked out in your list. And so this was great. This was just so much fun. And again, I really 
sort of enjoyed being able to enjoy Star Trek through your eyes, uh, someone seeing it for the first time. And I cannot wait for you to get to the movies because, I mean, there's some great, great stuff uh, awaiting you in the movies and some of the other shows as well. There's a whole, there's documentaries. I mean, again, there is just so much for you to uh, enjoy if you want to go down the, those roads. So, uh, and I've already said, I've told you, I've already, I've told Dan this, I need to be present when you get to Star Trek four, cause I love that movie. I, that's the movie I put on when I'm sad. That's the movie I put on when I'm having a bad day. It cheers me up. It is my favorite iteration of Star Trek in any form. So I need to be there in the room uh, when you guys get to it. So I'm looking forward to, to, to taking this journey even further uh, with you as you go through the other versions of Star Trek. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. It's a lot of fun. All right. Well, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, before we sign off, Aaron, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? You can find me at AaronIntradaKelly.com, and I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at AaronIntrada. Fantastic. All right, everybody. Of course, uh, you can find more episodes of this show, FW Presents, on our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. And uh, you can find us over on Twitter at FW Podcast. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope you enjoyed uh, this trip across the galaxy. Leave us a comment on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and tell us what your favorite episodes of Star Trek are. Uh, get into how uh, Aaron was too harsh on Day of the Dove. We can get into that as well. So <laughs> let us know what you thought of this episode. We'd really love to have a discussion about uh, Star Trek out there. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until then, uh, live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Mm-hmm.